and welcome to another episode of the YPod, where we highlight everyday Wyoming leaders. I'm very excited to talk today with Brenda Weatherby uh, with Weatherby Inc. Brenda, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's quite a pleasure. Oh, well, especially given everything we went through technologically to get here today, pleasure is a, a good word for today. After a time like this morning, I would wonder how the second graders did the last three months. <laughs> I'm with you and the teachers and the parents. Yes. So I thought we might start, uh, rather than talking about Weatherby Inc., talk about Brenda Weatherby, uh, but you weren't always a Weatherby. Could you tell us just a little bit about your background? Because you didn't come from Wyoming originally. No, I'm a California native. Um, I was born in 1977 and had a pretty normal childhood, kind of normal. I actually was in, um, this is totally random, but I know you guys will enjoy it. I was actually, as a baby, I was in Little House on the Prairie. Believe it or not, I have a twin sister and we were the baby Grace of Little House on the Prairie. So that was my claim to fame before Weatherby. Um, uh, at about four years old, I started being a normal kid um, and really just enjoyed sports and I was very academic. Um, I met my husband, Adam, when I was 14. So that was my first introduction to Weatherby. I never knew that that was connected to a gun company or anything of the sort. Um, my parents did not have firearms in the home. I had never held a firearm. I'd never thought about holding a firearm. I thought really the only person who needed to fire, you know, hold a firearm was a police officer. That's the only thing I'd ever seen. So my um, introduction to firearms was, uh, you know, very, um, I was very naive in that, in that matter. But I met my husband when I was 14 and he is one of the sweetest guys ever. Um, I wouldn't be the person I am today without him. And so that was really my introduction into Weatherby at a very young age. Well, and I'm assuming the two of you are not 14 in this picture. No, that was on a sheep hunt hmm, in Oregon, probably in 16 or 17, 2016 or 17. Adam drew a big game, uh, California bighorn sheep tag and that was a really awesome hunt. It was super fun. So. And uh, you'll probably make some enemies through this now because neither one of you, having met Adam a couple of months ago when we were in your facility, uh, neither one of you looks a day older than you did in this picture. So when you say <laughs> two years. Well, I feel a little bit older, <laughs> especially <laughs> after I moved to Wyoming. <laughs> Absolutely. So now before getting quite to the move to Wyoming, um, you went through the rest of your academic career, uh, got a degree in a field I find really fascinating, uh, yeah. hold a position now in terms of people and culture. Um, was, was there an idea in your mind that you were going to join Weatherby or was there a very different path for you that you were thinking of? Um, not at all. Um, I've only been working officially at Weatherby for four years, um, but in my earlier academic career, I, um, I got a BA in history. Um, wanted to go back and teach. I was really passionate about coaching and did that at the high school level for a number of years um, after playing volleyball in college. So um, I got a history degree. Um, quickly after that, I had my first child and went, oh, that, this is going to be difficult. 
it was really important to me to be home with the kids when they were little. I wanted to raise them and not daycare. So I chose to kind of put my career on hold and um, be home with my two kids. Um, so, but as soon as they got to kindergarten, I was anxious to get back to some of my goals. So I joined a um, kind of venture capitalist company, startup tech kind of company in California. They're everywhere there. Um, but we were training elite athletes, Red Bull athletes and Olympic athletes, stuff like that. So it kind of took my um, athletic interests as well as um, just some more techie kind of interests. Um, and so I worked at that company for eight years. I was uh, got to be the director of operations. So I was building uh, tech devices that would help these athletes. So it was very different than anything firearms related, that's for sure. Um, but it was a really good experience. I liked the corporate world. Um, I realized, oh my gosh, I thought I wanted to teach, but I, I really would much prefer to be in business. And so um, at that time, Adam had um, not been at the company for 15 years. He was a, um, a youth pastor for 15 years. And we you know, worked together with that passion for a long time. Um, but there came a time when Adam's dad came to him and said, hey, I, I really support you and I love what you're doing, but would you ever consider coming back to Weatherby? And so um, we made that decision as a couple that maybe this was the next step in our calling of life um, to um, just take the company to the next level and to let dad retire. <laughs> He'd been at the company a long time doing a lot of work. So we decided to do that. At that time, um, I'd always wanted to go back to school and get my master's. Um, you know, when I got married very young, my mother said, you're never gonna finish college if you get married right now. And I definitely proved her wrong because I went back and got a master's. <laughs> um, but the timing was right because I had had enough experience in um, the current business that I was um, helping lead. And I wanted to have the theoretical and philosoph the philosophy behind running an organization well. And I had seen a lot of organizations um, maybe not get to the level of success because there were some pitfalls of leadership um, that are very common to all of us. It's really hard to be a good leader. I don't think it comes naturally to anyone. Um, maybe not anyone. There, there are some born leaders, but all of us can be better leaders. And so I went to Colorado State University to um, pursue my degree in organizational leadership. So I did that. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, things I'd never thought about and in the midst of that degree, um, Adam was just coming back on the scene as, um, at that time, COO of Weatherby. Adam's dad was still kind of there. They were kind of making that transition. And so as I was learning things in my, my master's program, I would talk, you know, tell Adam about them and, you know, hey, we need to do this type of performance coaching or we need to have this kind of culture statement or what kind of accountability are we are we communicating and you know advocating for and all these types of things and so um, it seemed like almost every project that I had to do through my master's program 
was some problem or question or improvement that Adam wanted to make at Weatherby. So he'd say, well, wait, could you, could you research a way that we could do that at Weatherby? So it was funny, I wasn't working at Weatherby, but I was using some of the things I was learning at Weatherby well before I was employed there. Um, and so we did a lot of um, those, I did a lot of those things um, for him as I was going through a master's program. I remember at one point he said, you should just come to work at Weatherby when you're done with your, your degree. And I was like, I don't know. I'm not quite sure. How's that going to work? Husband, wife, like, I think my biggest hesitation, like Adam and I'd worked together a lot. So I wasn't worried that we weren't going to get along. It was more the, like, what were the employees impression of me working there? What was that going to be? Was I going to have enough credibility um, that I just didn't get a job because I was Adam's wife. And that's not what I'm about. I'm not, that almost makes me cringe. Um, and so um, I really hesitated on that. We went further along um, my capstone project. So kind of my um, main, you know, uh, project that ended my master's was actually on relocating a business out of state. Interesting, because Adam had just at that mind, um, that time been like, how are we going to make it here in California? How, like, this isn't our future. We can't, we can't be a successful company here. It's only going to get worse, blah, 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 blah. So um, he kept talking about that. And I was like, oh my gosh, that sounds like a really difficult problem to try to solve. And so I took that on as my capstone project, which was very enlightening. Um, Hmm. I think what I learned during that project is harder than you think it is <laughs> to move a company uh, across the country, um, recruit all new employees, um, build a culture that is positive, um, intentional. Gosh, it's so hard when you're moving to be intentional because you're just barely surviving. So it was a really interesting um, time. Um, I would say that the move to Wyoming really solidified Adam and I's leadership because before that time, um, we were kind of Ed's kids. You know, we were, we were the kids. Like some of those employees had worked for Ed for 40 years. And so um, it really was an amazing chance to have a restart in so many ways. I think I kind of skipped ahead, but that kind of goes over some of my background um, so I guess you, you somehow Adam talked me into um, working for Weatherby. Um, I will say he when he when he actually started talking about seriously, I said, "Well, you're going to have to give me a job description and an offer letter, and I'll consider it." <laughs> so I did take it very professionally, and I still try to do that. We have a very family feel here, but I'm I'm head HR, so if Adam says something out of line, I just call him on it. And I'm like, you can't do that, you know? So we really try to have our roles and be um, very good at what we do. And there's times when he's like, oh, I don't know. You'll have to ask Brenda about that. And I do the same. So um, it is a very delicate balance, um, but we really, really enjoy leading the company together. So. Having been inside the facility and, and gotten a chance to spend some time with you and Adam in the same room, uh, I can say I didn't get the slightest impression that you were 
there because you were Adam's wife or he was there because he was Brenda's husband. Um, you guys both carried your own style and, and your own demeanor as you, you went through the conversation that we had. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I don't think you have any cause to be concerned, although I appreciate you being concerned about it. Yeah. And the move to Wyoming, it did help that, you know, when we were in California, I think we, you, we couldn't be as confident as leaders. Um, and all these employees are our employees. They're not dad's employees. So it is a, it is a neat, um, it was a very neat transition to be part of. Yeah. For folks who aren't familiar with Weatherby, one of the things that struck me about it um, was that uh, you, you have a vision for what you do in addition to just manufacturing really elite firearms. Um, could you talk to us just a little bit about what, what Weatherby represents to you and it might tie into this idea of inspiring the dreams of hunters and shooters? Yeah, I mean, our, you know, I always find it challenging to make a mission statement or a core value statement real and not just words on a page. Um, because it, it really, for it to be real, it has to be um, like real, not only inside of each leader's heart, but actually in each employee's heart, that we really know why we're here. And so this, we exist to inspire the dreams of hunters and shooters is like, we desperately know in order to be a company, we have to do something unique. And it's really hard in the firearms industry to like be successful. It's, it's really hard. Um, it's really hard to make a quality product that's innovative um, that you can sell for more than you can make. I, I don't know how else to say it. It's just really difficult. Um, you have some huge conglomerates that can, you know, make a lot of cheap stuff and uh, they can make it that way, but, but we can't do it that way at all. Um, and so to inspire the dreams of hunters and shooters, it's not just the product, but it's really, it's selling an experience that um, means, it means a lot to people. And I have so many times I have um, candidates come in for, our, you know, for recruiting for a new position or something. And they're like, oh my gosh, I remember that weather being in the corner of my dad's safe. And that's the one we couldn't touch. And I couldn't wait for the day that he would hand that down to me. And I, I look at him like, are you joking? Like, that's amazing. Like, Adam and I don't take that lightly. Like we, and there's not really like that part of Weatherby was not because of us at all. Um, that is because of the legacy that Roy and Ed had before us. And they were so committed to not only a quality product, but a relationship with their customers. And time and time again, you will hear old guys call in and they're like, oh my gosh, I remember going down to the Southgate building and talking to Roy. It was a Saturday morning and no other owner would have been there, but he was there and he let me in and showed me around. And so he, um, he lived and breathed this company. And so that's, that's a, um, a huge honor that Adam and I don't take lightly. We just, we just sometimes can't believe, believe that. And so it makes us um, very driven to continue that inspirational product. One that stands above um, always seeking to give our customers the best that we can. So. 
and for anyone who is watching this and uh, doesn't already follow Weatherby, um, if you're at all interested in this idea of, of what it means to be a hunter or a shooter, the kind of um, experiences that you have, the, the types of emotions that you feel, um, you guys do a fantastic job on social media. Um, you have a lot of content that you put out. Uh, you have an in-house podcasting studio, which makes me very jealous. So lots of different ways that people can follow you and keep in touch with you. Um, and I'd really encourage that because I think you guys do a fantastic job, not just of marketing a product, but but this idea of touching into the emotion that lies behind it. Yeah, a lot of our, um, I would say most of our employees are avid hunters and shooters or want to be. They're like, I want to learn. Um, and so we try to be very genuine about, um, you know, the pro, the the like ups and downs of hunting. It doesn't always go perfect. It's not your picture perfect show. It's not your picture perfect social media post. Um, like last elk season, I just had a horrible, a horrible hunt with multiple, multiple mistakes. Um, I actually ended up with an elk that I didn't deserve after, after making so many mistakes, but that's just part of hunting and that's part of learning. And um, so we try to be genuine in that that um, this is a, a passion that we can follow. It doesn't always go perfectly. Actually, actually hunting, it's so funny. We, as hunters, sometimes we think like, we're gonna go out, we're gonna do this, we're gonna do that, we plan it all. Like, like it's a, a ride at Disneyland, you know? <laughs> like it's on a track. And then we're like, wait, why didn't that go as planned? It never goes as planned. But that's what keeps us coming back for more. That's what is the thing that's so inspirational because people don't know what to expect and they can't wait for the next year to like have a new adventure that's totally different than the last. So um, that generational like memory making, it's found in no other hobby, I don't believe. Well, again, you guys do a fantastic job of, of putting great content out there that I think folks would really gravitate to. Um, I'm not going to say that that it's a good transition to say things don't always go the way you planned. But when we talk about the move from California to Wyoming, I'm sure there were surprises. Uh, the question that comes to mind for me is, um, what have you found it like to be in Sheridan, Wyoming, as opposed to being in California? What's the experience been like for you thus far? Um, gosh, it's been wonderful. Um, besides getting used to winners, winners are hard. But I think even native Wyomingites know the winters are hard. Um, you know, being in a small town, having a lot of support um, is really amazing. That's, that's amazing. Um, being in a state that really is acting to preserve our freedoms is amazing. We always said uh, when we were looking for a state to move to, we were like, oh my gosh, how are we going to do this? And Adam would always, he'd always envision like a, like a choo-choo train, <laughs> like a train. And he'd think of the caboose and the lead, uh, you know, whatever the lead car is called. So we really felt like, like if the train was going to fall off the edge of the earth, like California was really the lead car. And we thought, where in the world is the caboose? Because if we all fall off, well, let's be the last one to fall off. And so there was a few states 
that were like, well, those are kind of towards the caboose. Let's look at those. I, I, that's really what we did. Um, and when we really like looked at all the factors, taxes and regulations and Second Amendment rights and, um, you know, uh, a desire to like preserve like American tradition, it was Wyoming. And it just happened that it's like the worst winters, <laughs> the least amount of people, um, which gave us some worry. Like, how are we going to be able to attract a workforce? Are we going to be able to have good logistics? Like, I don't know if this is going to work. So we did have a few risks and we do have some things that are a little more difficult, um, but it's so worth it. So, so worth it. Especially, gosh, in the next, you know, in the last couple months with everything with COVID, I say, gosh, if we were in California the last three months, I don't, we probably would have shut our doors. I don't think we would have made it. I don't really think we would have made it. So. And I, I do think that a lot of us who live in Wyoming uh, may not have thought about it in terms of trains, but I think we share the sentimentality in terms of uh, if things are going to go wrong in many, many places in the world, uh, the place we'd rather be is in Wyoming. Whatever's going wrong in other places, it's going to take a while to get to us. And, and there are really good aspects of that that you bring up. Um, yeah. Speaking of people, uh, when you shifted uh, into Sheridan, it looked based on some of the photos I saw as though you got a tremendous welcome when you moved into the community, which I was oh, really yeah. glad to see. Um, and yeah. also talking about the, the people who are involved and this begins to move us into your facility so folks can get an impression of it. Mm -hmm. uh, I will say it's only an impression. So if you have a chance to visit, you should definitely do that. Um, but when you walk in the front doors, uh, what you see inside the front, uh, in my mind, had a very unique combination. It was both uh, the opportunity for you to uh, purchase certain pieces that, and you guys do a great job of your swag, by the way. Um, my wife, Elisa, had to buy something before we walked out of the room and she still wears it quite a bit. Um, and you also have a, a showroom, a historic feel to it. Um, could you talk a little bit about what the thought process was going into constructing the, the lobby, the visitor's entrance? Yeah, you know, um, when the, the governor um, really sat down and talked to us about, you know, their desire to, to really help us build a building that would be unique for us, we were like beyond our wildest dreams. You're like, oh my gosh, we get to build this how we want? And it was just really, really amazing. And so we knew this was our chance and we never want to move again. So we're like, we better do it right. So Adam and I were heavily involved in that. And then I kind of took over the reins of the facility and um, how to make it the best home that we could. Um, and in, in the past, um, there'd been there'd been some showrooms um, down in Southgate, the original building on Firestone Boulevard, which is the famous building that had the, you know, full-size polar bear and all that, that the old timers will say that was Weatherby. Um, but they had some historical stuff in there and lots of taxidermy and all kinds of things. But um, when Ed had moved it away from Southern California, all of that memorabilia went into these crates and they were stored for decades, decades and decades. Um, actually, this goes back to my bachelor's degree in history. For my senior project, for my bachelor's, 
I actually did it on Roy Weatherby and I dug through those crates and found all this, you know, primary documents of things. It was just enlightening to me. Um, and so when we were building this, I was like, wait, where, where's all that stuff? Like, we have to put that on display. It's so amazing. So uh, we did want this to be half museum, not really museum, but we wanted it to be half historical. And then we wanted also to um, highlight our current products, our custom shop offerings, and then have something, if someone couldn't afford a gun, at least they could take away a hat or something that they felt was special. And so um, we also sell a bunch of seconds in there. So we have a lot of show guns and things that have been on like a hunt or two, and then we're able to discount those very heavily. Um, so we have locals that come in like every week. Do you got anything new on the seconds rack? And we're like, well, go take a look, you know? So it is fun to have repeat customers and people coming in. Um, I think people appreciate the historical part of it. Um, you know, it, I don't know if the, they can see this picture, but right behind that pink shirt, that black case has all of Roy's um, gunsmithing tools and all of his old log books of different calibers and um, shooting accuracy stuff, like everything by hand. He was like a fanatical, he documented everything. He kept everything. Um, and so it's just a small piece of the person he was. Um, and so since he's no longer around, it's kind of fun to talk through how he began the company and how he brought it to success. So um, we tried to have it be like uh, an innovative flair, but then also kind of that old west, but not too much of either. So we tried to have a good mix of that. We want to be cozy. We wanted, um, people to feel like it was something special when they walked in. And um, I think we did, so cool. I would very much agree with you. The other thing that I, I found interesting because we were in your lobby with a group before we did a tour and there were some people who were very interested in firearms and there was a lot for them to look at. And then there were people in the group who were not interested as much in firearms, but it was still very interesting to them because you, you had found that balance. Uh, so I would hope as, as people consider traveling to visit the facility, um, they don't feel like only someone who's interested in firearms would find this fascinating because I, I think that's, that's quite the opposite. Um, on the left on the screen, people will see just another angle uh, looking the other direction in your showroom. And then on the right hand side, there's a, a very unique room. Could you tell us just a little bit about this room? Yeah, so this is kind of our... Um, gun vault, I guess you would call it. Um, but it has a lot, well, on the right, you'll see kind of those guns um, vertical. Those are kind of our um, current production guns. So someone can go in and pick up any gun, hold it, feel it, feel the trigger pull, blah, blah, blah. Um, but the other guns that are in there are all very historical guns. Um, for a long, again, decades, these guns were on pallets in the warehouse, um, you know, first prototype of the 300 Weatherby or uh, first Mauser action. I mean, just things that gun people go nuts over looking at, silhouette pistols and things that there's maybe one or two only, you know, that exist. So we were able to take those off of those pallets in the warehouse and actually let people look at them um, which is super fun. Um, 
we do have kind of the evolution of the Mark V, so people can kind of understand how that Mark V uh, evolved um, from taking Mauser actions and re, um, recontouring barrels and action, um, actions and everything to fit the Weatherby caliber all the way to 1958 when um, we actually came out with the Weatherby Mark V and then the evolution um, from 1958 till today. The last gun um, is the Sheridan um, Wyoming commemorative rifle, which is that you know, gold inlaid, you know, something grandpa would be proud of because all of his guns were very fancy. Most of our guns are very fancy. They're really utilitarian now um, based on the hunting that's done now, but he, he would like that that gold inlaid um, gun on the deluxe stock with you know Sheridan Wyoming um, mountains in the background. So um, that's the last Mark V in our lineup, um, and we you know have a write up kind of describing each of those phases and what was important about it. So and it it is a remarkable piece again, even for someone who's not a, a firearms aficionado. Mm -hmm. uh, I think there's there's a workmanship, a craftsmanship to it that I, I think a lot of people could appreciate. Um, and again, even if you're not a firearms fan, uh, but if you find yourself in the facility with someone who is, uh, it's a good place to go and look and just admire the craftsmanship that went into some of the work. Shifting a little bit behind the scenes, um, mm -hmm. take folks through a, a fairly brief um, insight into uh, the manufacturing process so they can get a feel for what you guys do in your facility. Um, here, I think you have manufacturing engineering going on. Is that correct? Yeah. Yep. We've come, um, you know, from in California, we had no real CNC um, operations going on. And so since moving here, we've purchased four large CNC machines and we're getting, getting used to them. They're fancy boogers. So um, keeping our guys busy, but being able to contour barrels and um, doing things that we had to outsource completely. Um, we still outsource some for those those um, things, but we're just learning and growing um, so that we can be more um, vertically integrated and um, you know, keep our, our uh, costs low so that we can make a good margin on our product so that we can stay around for longer. <laughs> it also excites me to see companies bringing jobs like manufacturing engineering into Wyoming, um, as opposed to just an assembly job or, or something that's, that's limited uh, in that respect. So I appreciate that you're bringing the gamut. Um, yeah. And what do we have, speaking of the gamut of different things that you do in order to manufacture your products, uh, what do we have going on here? So this is John Thom. He's a great employee. Um, he is holding the Backcountry TI, which is our newest, most exciting product, um, the lightest backcountry type of gun with a titanium action. So it's under five pounds. Um, great mountain gun that you wanna strap on your back and carry for 12 miles, one of those. Um, he is actually um, the big machinery there. That's, I believe, a manual lathe. And he's taking the bolt knob and he's taking out the metal from the bolt knob, which is actually not needed. You have enough, enough of the structure to use the bolt knob, but that takes off um, more weight. So that's one of 
One of the additions to that backcountry TI is to take out all unnecessary weight um, that will um, make it more comfortable for the hunter. I was actually at a manufacturing event uh, where some of your products were on display and got to see people's reaction when they held that gun in their hands. Mm -hmm. uh, almost like if you go to a restaurant and you see a really heavy glass, um, drinking glass, and you pick it up and then you realize it's plastic. And it, yes. it's that weird sensation of this, I thought this was going to be much heavier and it looked like people were reacting that way to it. Yes. Yeah. It's very popular right now. And everything right now is either light or fast or both. And Weatherby has always been fast. We want to have, you know, in most classes of our calibers, we are the fastest. Um, so now we are the lightest. So very, um, very, people want that. They want to be comfortable in the field. And I, I know if I've been on a, or you're on a truck hunt and then you have to hike a lot and then you're like, oh my gosh, why did I bring this gun? You know, I'm just dying, you know? So, um, and then when you know you're going to be out on a 25 mile backcountry hunt, you just want to prepare for the best so that you can make it through. Some of those days, you're just like, I don't know if I can take another step. Um, so if you decrease the weight of your rifle, that helps a lot. Helps a lot. Makes a big difference, especially in Wyoming. Even people who aren't interested in firearms or, or fans of firearms uh, know about hiking and backpacking, yeah. uh, rock climbing. It, you add a very small amount of weight into any kind of a pack and it makes a huge difference. I uh, went through a few photos there just to give people a different perspective visually on the inside of the, the facility and, and how remarkably modern and clean it is. Uh, one thing I did want to ask about, because it might be something people wouldn't expect, um, is the work going on in the upper left-hand corner of this picture. Yeah, we have some loading going on. So loading our ammunition. Um, you know, we've had... Um, different suppliers load our ammunition over the years, great suppliers, um, but trying to keep up with the supply and the demand is really difficult. So by bringing a few different calibers in-house, we're able to control that um, and then able to keep ammunition on the shelf. So for, I'd say for the last five years, we really struggled. People want to buy our ammo, but it's not available. So that's, that's a not a good problem. <laughs> If you have the demand, but you don't have anything on the shelf, that's just completely useless. So um, we brought in some ammunition um, loading and we are expanding that to be able to satisfy our customers. As we went through the facility, I think this is a good example. Uh, there, was, there was an amazing balance between a high technology aspect and also a craftsmanship aspect. Mm -hmm. And and both pieces, I think, were very evident in walking through the facility, um, as well as just the general, I think, pride and enthusiasm that you got a sense of from the employees. Uh, and I don't think they were just faking that because we were taking a tour. That's very difficult to do. Mm -hmm. um, which kind of leads me to uh, maybe a, a closing kind of question for you. Uh, I did have to sneak in a winter picture for you because enjoy the cold weather here in Wyoming. Um, but when you think about where you came from in California, um, where you are now here in Wyoming, um, if there's one piece of being in Wyoming or, or what you've been able to build in the building, the facility, the team you've been able to assemble, is there any one thing that you're particularly grateful for? I, 
I believe it's the like-mindedness of our employees. So we've had um, overwhelming response. Um, I think I mentioned briefly that we were worried about being in the middle of nowhere, Wyoming, and able to um, attract a workforce. But for 50 positions, we had 3,500 applicants. That's a lot of applications to go through. But um, what you get when you have that kind of response is you can pick the cream of the crop. Um, in California, we had good employees, but if we had a position open, maybe you had three or four applicants. Here we have 40 applicants. So you just, you're able to vet those candidates and sometimes what we found is that it's not actually the skill that's the most important. It's really that person's passion for what we're doing, um, their integrity, and do they wanna be a part of something really special? Is this just a job to them or is this a calling? Is this a passion? Um, and we have assembled so many of those employees into these wonderful teams. Um, just last month, I had uh, one of our staff meetings and I went around to those who had been here a year or two years, kind of their anniversary. And I had this little video of them saying what they enjoyed most about Weatherby. And it was like beyond a shadow of a doubt. It wasn't that they get to work at a gun company. It was that they loved the people they worked with. And so because of that response and because of our intentionality in recruiting, um, I, believe, I believe we have a workforce that is top notch. I really, really do. Well, thank you for deciding to move to <laughs> Wyoming. Uh, it's a thrill to have you guys be a part of it, not only in terms of the jobs that you bring to the community, which are fantastic, but having gotten to know you a little bit, um, you're the kind of person that I think we're all proud to have in Wyoming, the, the positive way you look at things, the, the enthusiasm that you bring to what you do. Um, it, it's, it was good for you to come back home to Wyoming, even though you didn't know it was home. Oh yeah, this will be our third summer here. And um, sometimes I'm like, what in the world am I doing here? <laughs> But most of the time I'm like, oh, this is the home I never knew I was missing. Like it's just, um, even last night I was sitting out on our hammock, looking out over the big sky that you just couldn't see that far ever, except if you're maybe at the ocean, which is gorgeous. But you just could never see so far into those mountains and that sunset and that wind that just makes, makes you know you're alive. <laughs> um, it's just gorgeous. It's just gorgeous. And it's just so wonderful to call Wyoming home. It really is.